Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Unfortunately, not a Merry Christmas for the New York Knicks, Alex. Yeah, lost to the Sixers after a late collapse. Not a great thing to watch. We'll talk about what led to it. Plus, we'll also talk a little bit about R.J. Barrett's 44-point game against the Bulls on Friday night. Next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all platforms. And that includes, and you already know this if you're seeing our smiling faces, on YouTube. So go check us out on YouTube if you haven't already. Like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Post your rage at how this weekend just went. Uh, But who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website. The whole wide world, check them out on all forms of social media at thestrick.land. And yeah, this is Locked On Knicks. This is unfortunately Locked On, a three-game losing streak. Alex is the Knicks uh, lose lose just a backbreaker to the Chicago Bulls. uh, Missed four free throws down the stretch. Unfortunately, waste a 44-point night. From R.J. Barrett, um, lose by one on a DeMar DeRozan shot with about a second left. And then uh, almost an equally frustrating game in Philly as the Knicks put together what was probably the best, uh, I'll say, three-quarter stretch of offense they've had all season, uh, led by Julius Randle having a a just ridiculous 25-point first half. Unfortunately, not enough as the Sixers' star duo of Joel Embiid and James Harden uh, overwhelm uh, the relatively less talented Knicks side. So, Alex, whole wide world of pain to talk about. Uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I think it was even more so than the two stars, too, is George Niang just deciding that he can't miss from three. I mean, he was pretty I think open, this, though. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think these two games told me. And I probably want to zero in on the Christmas Day one first because I thought that that was a little more concerning towards the end. Um, But these sort of showed like, you know, the the Knicks during their win streak were facing a lot of teams that were either hurt that they should have beaten or teams that were kind of reeling a little bit from like a losing streak of their own. And the Knicks now their last two games have faced two teams that are kind of on streaks of their own, you know, that are the team that the Knicks were you know, a week ago and the Sixers game in particular, the way that that end of the game played out reminded me so much of how some of those games on the win streak went for the Knicks, um, such as the the Pacers game, for example, I think is probably the best example for me where, you know, the Knicks were sort of sort of reeling that whole game, not really taking advantage of what was being given to them and, but, you know, you kind of just had this innate feeling of like, no, I, I think the Knicks are the better team here. And like all it's going to take is one little run and then they'll win this thing. And then they got the one little run and they won that thing um, against the Sixers. It sort of felt like, 
you know, the Sixers were clawing back, clawing back. And then all of a sudden you were like, ah, oh, crap. Like, I, I think the Sixers are the better team here. And I think that they're going to eventually pull this one out. And lo and behold, they did. That said, like, if it wasn't for just a, a two minute, like, stretch of just looking defeated by the Knicks, they could have won that game, you know, but it seemed like once Niang hit that one three pointer and then he hit the second one, all of a sudden it just sucked the air right out of the Knicks and they just stopped defending the way that they're capable of defending. And, you know, it'd be easy to pin that on like Jalen Brunson, who was out there for probably too long with an injury that eventually forced him to the back. You know, he's grabbing at his hip and seemed, he didn't seem super hobbled by it. And honestly, I didn't think his defense suffered that much as a result of whatever the injury was. It was mostly just the Knicks showing one of their worst things that they did early in the season when they looked really bad, which was a complete inability to defend a pick and pop player. You know, they just can't wrap their brains around, okay, Niang is setting a screen. All right, Julius, you're guarding Niang. Maybe you should stick with Niang because Grimes is clearly doing enough against Harden, who by his standards did not have his best game in that one. You know, still scored like almost 30 points. Or something. Did he finish with over 30? I forget. But I know he's at like 29 for a minute. Yeah, he had 29. Yeah, so, you know, but by Harden's standards, I didn't think he had a super great game. You know, he wasn't really bending the defense as much as he normally does because his shot making just wasn't as good as it usually is. So, you know, have Julius stick to Niang, and then all of a sudden, if you just contest a couple more of those shots, you might be in better shape. Like, it's funny because for as bad as the defense was from, I don't know when exactly that run started, around five minutes until about two and a half minutes left, for the final two and a half minutes, I thought they played really great defense. And then they managed to kind of make it a game down the stretch, but it was far too late at that point because they had already let, you know, a four-point game turn into a 16-point a game or whatever the the maximum amount in that final, you know, stretch was. 14 points, I think it was maybe. But, you know, it was it was just too little too late. But then they, you know, at the end, they, were, they had crisp rotations and were sticking with their guys properly. And if the Knicks could have just made a few more shots too, which I thought they were even doing a good job of busting the zone on the other end and generating open looks for Grimes quickly, Randall, you know, you name it, RJ. All of them got open looks down the stretch and just couldn't can any of them. So just kind of a, a an amalgamation of factors. But uh, I thought that it was just a, a, a really – it was – I won't say it was concerning, but it was just a, a little bit of a throwback, that like two-and-a-half or so-minute stretch where they let the game s- slip away. It felt a lot like some of the worst moments earlier this season. Yeah, so it was – the Knicks were up um, with 11-and-a-half minutes to go. 98 to 95 and then it got to uh 116 102 with uh 448 left so over about seven minutes that was or maybe six and a half it was it was 21 to four run um that killed them and yeah to your point i thought there were pretty clear-cut issues on both ends of the floor um defensively um and this was kind of surprising tibbs started using randall in in drop a little bit more and i'd have to go back to uh, rewatch the fourth quarter, track all the possessions to like know if that was like happening every single play. But that's that's kind of what I noticed, and where where Niang was was getting a lot of those threes. And I think to your point, like he wanted help on Harden when it was mostly RJ in the third quarter who was really having a lot of issues with Harden. And and at times it wasn't even like I, I saw people on Twitter were sort of roasting RJ's defense, and he definitely wasn't out 
far enough on him, but Harden also made um, around a 30 footer at one point. It was just, it just kept backing up, backing up, draining threes, draining threes. Like it wasn't really classic Harden in that he was like kind of getting to the rim and, and living at the foul line. Like he, he just got really, really, really hot and, and RJ should have played up on him more. Uh, but to your point, it, it felt like they were kind of content to say like, all right, it, it was honestly, it's sort of, and, and at times I didn't really mind this defense from the Knicks just because it felt like after Mitch did a great job on Embiid in the first half, no one could really handle him in the second. So I was like, all right, just do whatever you got to do to Embiid. And it, it sort of felt like the, the defense, the Bucks played on the Celtics by the end of that playoff series a year ago where they were like, all right, you know what? If Grant Williams wants to beat us, we'll, we'll, we'll let him take 18 threes and we'll live with it. And that that's sort of been Tibbs's philosophy. I mean, last year, this year, where if another team has is kind of a mediocre three-point shooting, um, not, not that Neang's a big, like he's, he's more of a small forward, but like a big-ish guy, they'll be like, all right, you, you want to take eight open threes and live and die by that? We'll, we'll do it. And for a little bit, it was kind of working for the Knicks as Niang missed two wide open threes in a row. Then he started making them. And then at, at that point, like that, that's sort of the issue with, with that kind of schematic decision. Like once those three start going in and then you start have to pulling over a little bit more, it feels like everything falls apart very quickly. And that's what happened defensively. Offensively, um, it, it was kind of the same old story for the Knicks where it felt like they were just too reliant on, on Julius Randle isolations and, and and we're sort of spamming that over and over and over again and in the first half it worked to perfection I mentioned earlier it's 25 points um, per ESPN the most anyone scored in the first half of a Christmas Day game in 25 years so the guy and, and we'll get more in depth on it he was incredible um, but he he got tired which which makes sense because he was being asked to do everything uh, while playing with pretty good effort defensively in the first half and he he just wore out a little bit. And then because of that Jalen Brunson injury um, and the fact that before that, to your point, Brunson just wasn't at 100 um, percent. The Knicks were kind of flummoxed when um, Philly went zone. And when it was when they were doing work against the zone, it was because one, Randall was amazing. And two is because even when Brunson wasn't scoring, he was getting into the heart of the defense, drawing three, four defenders and kicking it out over and over and over again. He had 11 assists just through the first three quarters of this one, Alex. So it just, it just sort of felt like they lost their solutions to that over time. Yeah, it was uh, not the not the not the best showing for them. And, I, you know, I I'd like to get into it more in the next segment. Like, I actually even think. Their offense down the stretch, I didn't even think was that bad or even 100% reliant on Julius to make something happen, and he just didn't. I actually thought that they did an okay job and just kind of missed some shots down the stretch. But, uh, Gavin, real quick before we we come back, do you want to let everybody know where they can bet on Julius potentially putting up another 25-point half? Again? You know, it's, it's a safe bet at this point. It feels pretty automatic, but you got to go to betonline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball in the World Cup. We've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find those as well at BetOnline. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including recently, Alex. Now, this this might be a little outdated given how the Bulls are playing of late, but they had odds for DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine's next team, if not the Chicago Bulls. And guess what? The New York Knicks, surprisingly, the favorite for Zach Levine if he does get traded. He's been looking better lately. Who knows if the Bulls are still in that market, but maybe something to see down the road um but if you're interested like i am in those types of odds head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more bet online it is where the game starts and with that we are back on 
locked on Knicks. So Alex, I'll just I'll just throw that right back to you. Make the case because the Knicks they did only score 16 points in the fourth quarter, but I'm with you in the sense that it, it felt like at the very end of the game, they were starting to find something again on both ends of the floor. And it's always hard to tell in those situations if it's sort of like football where like all of a sudden the other defense kind of goes into a prevent and like you, you can you can move the ball better than you have all game. But 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 you do you think the Knicks found something that was clicking there or or you or are you more so saying like their process was pretty good, but the shots just weren't necessarily falling in the fourth? I think it's yeah, sort of sort of the latter. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if they necessarily found something new. Uh at the end there, but it just sort of, so as it was ballooning from, mm. you know, I, I think what was uh, the score, I think the, the Sixers, in addition to that 21 to four run, you mentioned, I think for about two minutes, they went on like a 10 0 run, uh, mm. which was mostly the Niang threes going in. And I think there was a, an Embiid make in there, which pushed it from, I think the score was 106, 102 or 106, 100. And then eventually it was 116 to 102. Uh, after a couple minutes there. And that was sort of that back-breaking stretch. But even during that stretch, the Knicks had these couple possessions. Like, there was the one where they got, like, three offensive rebounds. And they, I thought, were generating great shots on each of those that led to an offensive rebound and yet just couldn't make any of them, you know? And it's like you had guys that were shooting fairly well throughout the game. Like, I mean, R.J. Barrett didn't shoot particularly good, but he at least wasn't like terrible from three in this game. He couldn't make one. Julius shot pretty well on three before er, from three before the fourth quarter. He couldn't make one. Grimes, you know, is the guy that you kind of count on to be your three-point shooter. He couldn't make one. And, you know, there's just so many missed shots. The only guy that kind of came through a little bit down the stretch was quickly, who had uh sort of a semi momentum stalling three at one point. Although you could argue it was it was too little too late at that point. But you know I didn't think that the looks they were generating were bad. It was just like, it almost seemed like they just sort of lost their confidence, which I could kind of understand from just a psychological standpoint when you're down, you know, 116, 102 after you were just keeping this a really tight game and or being up by more than that <laughs> at different points of this game, you know, where you could be like, ugh, you know, that maybe this one is just over, but, you know, they weren't quite, to that that full deficit yet and yet still just could not make a shot um and i think you know maybe there's a world where they make one of those and then that sort of lights a fire under their butt again and be like okay let's switch into this defense that did really ultimately you know the, like i said the final two and a half minutes of the game i thought they played really good defense you know and did all the right things they were doing like soft traps where they were you know, trying to trap someone before midcourt to force an error. And then we're getting back and adjusting well after that. And, you know, the the Sixers were obviously playing a slightly different style at that point where they were trying to burn more clock. But I, I don't think that they, like, were so invested in that that, you know, that it was like they were just handing the Knicks good defensive possessions. I thought they actually did a good job of, you know, keeping them away and then forcing turnovers and stuff like that down the stretch. It was just unfortunately a a case of of missed shots you know and not being able to convert on the shots that they needed down the stretch i'm just going to pull out fourth quarter numbers real quick like rj one of eight in the fourth quarter played all 12 minutes julius two of five in the fourth quarter um and everybody else not other than quickly not looking super good 
uh, Grimes one of four, Brunson one of three, and quickly two of three. And that's all the guys that took a shot in the fourth quarter. In total, they shot 30.4% and one of eight from three for 12.5%. If they made like two more of those threes and brought their percentages more to around where they are for the year, uh, maybe that kind of quells the run a little bit and and makes us like win this game. But again, it's it was just sort of like I alluded to in the first segment. It just felt like a the Sixers are obviously more talented. They're a team that ideally wants to win a championship this year and has given up the assets to suggest that they want to win a championship. But the other thing is just it was a it was a hot team facing a cold team, and the hot team did the hot team thing and pulled it out in the end and you know, made the shots and the cold team did the thing the cold teams do, which is wilted a little bit down the stretch and and couldn't pull it out. Um, but ultimately, I, I didn't think their process was that bad. I thought they did a pretty decent job down the stretch, especially against the zone, which they've struggled with and just couldn't pull it out. Yeah, I, I, I at least on my end, I don't know if there was quite enough creativity offensively, but also like where, where I sympathize with with Tom Thibodeau is like at a certain point, it is it does just come down to talent, right? Because Philly wasn't really running crazy offense. It was a lot of um, Harden pulling up and hitting twenty eight footers, or Harden drawing two defenders and then kicking to the wing, or or Embiid uh, hitting elbow jumper after elbow jumper, or or getting putback slams uh, on Mitchell Robinson's head. And that's that's just talent at a certain point. And I think it, it's still clear to me at times at the end of these games, the Knicks just have such a thin margin for error. And if they don't have all three of Brunson, Randall, and RJ on the court and playing well. Like it, it's hard for them to pull out games, not not even against like the Sixers, but it, but it, to your point, against a team like the Pacers, who who are solid, aren't aren't a terrible team by any means, but but are aren't great. And it if if Brunson's out with an injury and RJ is in the midst of a, a six for twenty one game as he was, like it feels like someone else just has to step up from a creation standpoint. If not, things inevitably get a little stagnant and. And while I would still posit that there's more room for creativity, like in, in the third quarter, the Knicks got two buckets in a row by having Jalen Brunson uh, screen for Julius Randle. And one time Brunson just dove to the rim off of it um, and got a little floater. And then the other time Randle drove, uh, drew two, three defenders, then flipped it back to Brunson, then Brunson attacked and got a layup. So just little stuff like that to like kind of grease the wheels is really good. And it feels like more often than not, the Knicks kind of, trend away from any kind of creativity down the stretch, but also they, they just need a fourth guy who can handle the basketball and make shots. And for a team where there are still like heavy rumors about them trying to find that player on the open market, like we heard the name um, before the win streak or, or at the very beginning of the win streak. Um, we heard the name from the athletic of, of Eric Gordon. I believe if I'm remembering correctly, that was a Shams Geronium might've been Ian Begley. And then after this game, Ian Begley came out and said um, it, was, it was interesting timing that, that he dropped this, I guess, just because they were playing Philly, but he came out and said that the Knicks were looking to acquire Tobias Harris before that win streak started. And, and you see, kind of the roots for that and why the Knicks, I mean, I guess that would nominally be the type of deal that they'd be willing to move Emmanuel quickly and uh, why they'd be willing to do that. Because right now, whether it's Quinn Grimes, whether it's quickly, they're just missing that guy who can consistently create his own shot. And Alex, I'll toss this back to you in a sec. To me, the biggest disappointment of maybe not this season, but at least of this current stretch is that even, even when quickly is cooking, he hasn't really been that guy. Like he, he he's been playing better because his three point shot is falling, but he's not kind of the consistent creative force that we were hoping he would become down the stretch last season. Grimes is still someone who can be great when attacking a closeout, but doesn't really generate his own momentum 
all that often. Um, so I, I can see why they're still on the market and saying like, hey, if we like probably not Grimes, but if we have to give up a manual quickly to find a fourth guy who can consistently create his own shot, there's, there's kind of a cap limit on what this team can be just because the frontline guys aren't a Joel Embiid or James Harden that they're all they're very good and Brunson and Randall in particular have been playing like all-stars lately but you're just not going to get four quarters of dominance from them that you might from a genuine top 15 player in the NBA game in and game out um Alex I want to I want to get your thoughts on that but first um I I know I know we have a really important reminder to give to everyone yeah uh so I'll just I'll just tell a little anecdote here. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. And it all sounds pretty bad to me. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Especially keep this in mind with New Year's coming up. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, Gavin, we're back to finish talking this out. And yeah, I, I, so to pick up on the point that you ended on the last segment there, I, I agree with you. And, you know, this was sort of what I was getting at with a, a couple weeks ago, which uh, <laughs> I know like got me some flack, like in my Strickland Discord, for example, uh, with the idea of potentially trading quickly for the right deal. And, you know, I'd posited maybe even just for a, you know, a decent first round pick or something like that with the idea being that that would be ammunition to go get the type of guy that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, like I, I, cause I'm with you. I think that when you look at some of the best teams, you know, especially when you don't have the top of the line talent, like the Sixers do like the bucks with, you know, Giannis or like the, the nuggets with, uh, you know, Jokic. Like if you don't have one of those, like, like pillars of the NBA on your team at any particular moment. And you're just relying on a bunch of like good to great guys like the Knicks are where they have, you know, they have the, the uh, so-called mid three of, you know, Jalen Brunson, RJ Barrett, Julius Randall. Those guys are, are great certain nights, but a lot of times have proven that they're not necessarily like that a one star level guy uh, that can really like carry an entire team when you reach that point, then you have to start thinking, and it, look, I know that this team is not exactly killing it right at this second, but it's it's something to think about. Like the Toronto Raptors, for example, have a bunch of guys that can just put the ball on the floor and do stuff with it, you know, and they, they could potentially throw four or even five of those guys out on the floor at you at any given time. Uh, guys that have the ability to dribble, pass, shoot, you know, like that, are uh, that could take the ball on the perimeter against a you know a flat-footed defender and say okay let me you know break this guy down and make this happen um so you know I, I think that that is something that the Knicks will have to look at and 
whether it's a, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily go all in on a guy like Levine. So, you know, it'd have to be like a pretty modest package to get someone like him mm-hmm. um, just because of what you lose on the defensive end. But, you know, it, in general, I do think that they will at some point need to look for that guy, you know, like that fourth guy, if they're going to, you know, supplement the the guys already on the roster or potentially look to upgrade one of RJ Julius and maybe even Brunson. I mean, I, I love Brunson. He's probably the guy I feel the best about out of the three, but you know, you just need some sort of upgrade from like a lowercase S star to a capital S star at some point, or add another lowercase S star without displacing any of the, any of the lowercase S stars on the team already. Um, which whichever way you can go, I'm I'm with you that I think that that's sort of the difference for this team right now of what could put them over the edge and what could be the difference in future games against teams like the Sixers with you know two guys that are like former MVPs or MVP candidates at least in Embiid and Harden like that. Um, but maybe this is a good segue to the uh, to the Chicago game if we want to just briefly talk about that, Gavin. Of course, RJ. It looked like a capital S star in that game. Yeah. Uh, and had 44 points, 14 of 20 shooting, six of six from three, a 10 of 13 for the free throw line. I'd almost forgotten it with a, a busy holiday weekend behind me just how insane that game was, Gavin. But uh, do you want to start the discussion on, on gushing over RJ's performance on Friday that was unfortunately sullied by some missed free throws by the whole team and a, and a buzzer beater by DeMar DeRozan? Yeah, and, and easy to free. I mean, it, it's kind of in one ear out the other when they when they lose the game, and then then he comes out and goes six for twenty one the next game. But yeah, this was I like clearly the the game of RJ's season, um, arguably the best of his career, and it just kind of I mean I, I, I'm gonna well, I, I want to circle back and talk about Randall um, in that uh, Sixers game in just a sec, but for both of them, um, it, it's it's pretty incredible just how much more explosive. They looked and they did earlier in the season. And with Julius, he was he was flashing a little bit of that earlier in the year, right? But it, it wasn't just he wasn't getting to the rim the way he is now. And I think for both these guys, it's it's partially um at least for RJ, it's not having the same defensive assignment. And both of them are just clearly in like apex shape now. Um, but for for both, I think a, a big factor is that teams are respecting their jumpers now when they just weren't earlier in the season, but the way they're both shooting, you have to. And and for RJ, I mean, it, I, I think he probably put a lot of work this offseason into his first step and, and and into getting to the lane and into finishing with more authority once he gets there. Uh, but he hasn't really been able to actualize that until he got over whatever that sickness was earlier this year. And and the jumpers started falling. But this game, I mean, yeah, start six for six from three. The closeout started coming and shots that were missed layups against two, three defenders early in the year are now him dunking on Nikola Vucevic and putting his, his you know what, in, in, in Vucevic's face, um, like over and over and over again. And and just his, his ability to like when he starts finding some confidence to start shifting pace, shifting the way he tacks, whether it's a, a screen rejection for his opening bucket against Zach Levine um, or on that dunk he had on Vucevic. It felt almost like either Harden or Shea Gilders-Alexander the way he he kind of slowly went around DeRozan where like DeRozan was expecting him to explode and then RJ just kind of changed his pace a little and, and, and threw DeRozan off. And then with 33 seconds left, hit what should have been the game-winning shot um, in that in that Bulls game, which was just, just tough. 
uh, we get Zach Levine to kind of a one-two step runner. Uh, but Alex, what did what did you make of of that electric performance against the Bulls? And then, if, if you want to circle back as well, what what did you make of Randall's uh, just insane twenty-five point first half against the 76ers? I mean, I think it just shows that both those guys at times have the ability to be. I don't know what the word would like. I don't know if they are the capital S star, but they have the the ability to cosplay one from time yeah, to time. Go. You know, like like they can't quite get to that plateau. And Randall, I think at this point we can sort of just say, yes, this this is who he is. He's a, a very good player at his best. Um, not necessarily a guy that can like carry a team. RJ, it's probably still too early to put out a final deliberation on him. I know everybody loves from game to game to, you know, one half of the, the Knicks uh, fandom loves to, you know, scream that he's a bust every time he shoots six of 21. And then the other half of the fandom loves to be like, Oh, the RJ haters being real quiet today after he like has a, a 30 point game or whatever. Guilty of both on this podcast. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do, we do because we, by nature we have to be reactionary because we're talking yeah. about every single game. Um, but the, you know, RJ, I'm not really ready to write off the idea of him potentially turning into like a capital S star still. Um, though it, it, the frustrating inconsistencies always show their head, you know, it, when it's like just when you think, okay, this is it, like he's turned that corner, and then all of a sudden a really bad shooting game comes around. And yet you're reminded of some of his limitations that don't just stem from having a bad shooting night, but also just from his style of play. Where sometimes, you know, like he's not matchup proof and the best players in the NBA are 100% matchup proof. And I think you could even make a case for like Brunson where, you know, Brunson has all the physical limitations. But even with that, I think that he has largely proven himself to be matchup proof this year, Um, which is probably the biggest differentiator between him and RJ and Randall to me is that Brunson outside of his own body failing him, which has been the case lately where the, the little nicks and cuts are just piling up so much that it seems like he's he's just kind of consistently in pain right now <laughs> between the, the twisted ankle, whatever's going on with his hip now, had, I think, a knee thing for a minute, you know, like whatever. Like he's got all this crap going on uh, with his body. Outside of that, you know, you can have the, the smallest, most pesky defender against him. You could have the longest, most, you know, imposing point guard defender against him. And he could toast any of them just with the footwork and the, you know, the fader from mid range and, you know, spot up shooting ability, his ability to put on the floor, his ability to drive, kick, whatever. He's pretty much matchup proof at this point, as long as he's healthy. That's the big caveat with Brunson right now. But RJ and Randall, I think that the thing is, is that they're not matchup proof. Like Randall, if you, if you commit super tight defense to him, and sometimes, you know, the biggest differentiator for him is how well he's seeing out of doubles on any given day, because, you know, some days he's a virtuoso and he and he sparks like a fantastic offense. Other days he seems to struggle with the doubles and struggle with the extra defensive pressure that comes with having like a 25 point first half. And sometimes sometimes he just gets tired. Like, I think that was the case in the Sixers game. I don't think his process necessarily got much worse. Mm. I think that he just, you know ran out of steam, which like you said, it's understandable. He was, he was really carrying their offense in that game. Uh, RJ, on the other hand, I think is less matchup proof than maybe even both of them. 
where it seems like sometimes just sometimes he's able to just create whatever he wants and use his physicality to his advantage. And other times it seems like lengthy defenders and stuff just really give him fits and he can't seem to generate much of what he wants to generate because, you know, defenders, if they commit to playing him super tight, it, it proves difficult sometimes for RJ to, to make the space that he needs to himself to get something off, which is, which is why even with like a 44 point game under his belt where he, did a ton of creation. A lot of times it feels like his offense is dependent on, okay, like Julius or Brunson needs to get going a little bit first. And then RJ can really start to shine because then he's able to kind of feast off of the, the attention that gets paid to the other guy on the floor, uh, which is totally fine. You know, that, that might make him into like a Chris Middleton in, in his career, which it would be an awesome outcome for him. Cause Chris Middleton is a fantastic player. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of where I'm at with, with both of them. And, you know, these games sort of proved, sort of showed a, a great little like microcosm of what both are capable of and not capable of at different times, I think, you know, over this weekend. And, and I guess the most encouraging thing should be that both these games were pretty close too. So even when the Knicks are not at their best right now, they're still playing teams somewhat close. And if you took out that horrible, whatever, like two and a half minute stretch for the Knicks towards the end of the fourth quarter uh, of the Sixers game. I, I think they played two pretty darn good games overall. These past two days, it just kind of came down to not having like that guy to, to put the nail in the coffin in both games. Yeah, it's it's clear. I mean, big picture perspective. I, I don't think either of us are saying the sky is falling like and and you you could even go back one game further in the Raptors game. We, we said they had an, an extremely Valiant effort, and I think in a, in a fair world, the Knicks would have been one and two over these three games with just a little bit of luck. Would have been two and one over these three games, but you know what? They got a, they got a lot of that over the eight game winning streak, and it, and it swings back the other way. And sometimes luck is just in the form of like opponents like relatively open three point shooting, which for that eight game winning streak, as it often is when a team that probably tops out as pretty good wins eight games in a row, their opponents sucked at hitting threes, and then all of a sudden these last three games, and and particularly against the Sixers, like. Philly, like the, the Knicks had every right for this to be a 15 to 20 point first half lead. But I think D'Anthony Melton went, what was it, four for four or, or five for five on threes in the first half? And and part of that was what the Knicks were doing on defense. And honestly, I thought Jalen Brunson had a brilliant offensive game while he was on the floor against Philly. I, I thought he sucked on defense and at times just wasn't paying enough attention. And then even when he was paying attention, like this is to your point, the physical limitation with Brunson, like he could close out on Melton, but Melton's what, like six four, six five. Like he he wasn't even really seeing Brunson on those closeouts and was just putting three after three down. And and that's where um like a great first half effort from from Randall and uh not to mention Mitchell Robinson who guided the New York Knicks to they they were outscoring the Sixers 17 to 2 at one point on second chance opportunities and that was pretty much all Mitch who it was just just beating Embiid on the glass over and over and over again and as that flipped in the second half and as Embiid um like JJ Redick said in the broadcast he's not really an, an, a noon guy for whatever reason and like once Embiid kind of got his footing like got got a coffee in him at halftime like the, the game completely flipped on its head and it's because um like with, with the Sixers getting supplemental shooting from their guys and the Knicks not getting that like plus their stars like there wasn't just enough there but I want to I want to circle back one more time to that first half from Randall because I mean to me like yeah or, or especially in the in the third quarter like he like just over and over and over again like he, he was like blowing by PJ Tucker 
for wide open layups. Um, at one point went right at James Harden for like a crazy tough and one banker. And, and, and the confidence was just at such a high level for him. And, and on top of that, like he, he continued doing like, like all the little things he's been doing, like, like his footwork on his three point shot looks so good right now. Like I, I wrote down Ray Allen light in my notes and look, granted, like you could probably go back and watch games early in the year and the footwork probably looked fancy and the shots weren't just going in, but his, his touch on catch and shoots is so exciting. Um, he looked like Obi Toppin at one point running the floor with, when Jalen Brunson hit him on an 80 foot um, lead pass um for for a layup and, and then just had one of his best passes of the season where he he beat James Harden off the dribble was was on the uh left wing and then just threw like a double pump bullet to Jalen Brunson in the opposite corner Randall I mean it, it's kind of like an elevated version of what we saw during that 2021 season where he he's just throwing guys open but he's doing so Alex with just such crazy margins where he's in the paint and he's surrounded by two, three, four guys. And he's still finding a way to get out to the perimeter, get it to the corner. And honestly, like if, if I'm going to criticize Brunson, I also got to compliment him because we saw that from Brunson again and again in this game when like when the, when the Sixers went zone, like he was able to at times, like I, I could post screenshots of this on Twitter. Like there were four defenders around him and he was just like, all right, throw it out to Julius Randle for three um, get the defense tilting one way and then, and then zip it back to Randall and give him like a tilted defense to go and attack. Like he's he, even on nights when he's not necessarily being the apex predator. He was at points earlier this season as a scorer. Brunson's making things so much easier on his opponents. So Alex, I, I don't know how you want to wrap this up comment on that, or maybe a little bit more on Mitchell Robinson and, and the effort he had in the first half against Embiid, which I said, when we had the Sixers guys on, that was ultimately going to be the key to this game. How, how Mitch matches up with Embiid and, and Mitch outside of like some ticky tack fouls in the first half, honestly got the better of that matchup. Yeah. I mean, I think that Mitch always plays Embiid pretty close and that's why you take a chance of giving Mitch you know, the contract that he got the four for 60, because he can, he could play a guy like an Embiid and slow him down a decent amount. And he's done that in the past. And, you know, there's only so much you could do against a guy of that caliber, but Mitch always seems to show up against some of the best centers in the league, except for maybe like Jokic, Jokic gives him fits, but Jokic kind of gives everybody fits. That's why he's been MVP. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you pretty much said, all of it with with Brunson and Randall. I don't have too much more to add there. Um, you know, Brunson in particular, at his best this year. I mean, it's we've been talking about it all year. He's he's been the point guard that the Knicks have wanted slash needed for forever, uh, and you know he he really displays it with his ability to break down defenses, to find the right man at various points, and you know sometimes to such great effect that the Knicks can take a. Uh, whatever their maximum lead was on the Sixers in the first half, 15 points or whatever it seemed like. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I just really, I think maybe the, the closing note is I hope that there's nothing seriously wrong with Brunson. We've mm -hmm. not heard any updates uh, since he left with the hip thing. Hopefully it's like, I don't know, a hip pointer or something. I don't, I'd be lying if I said I knew exactly what that is, but I know it's a thing <laughs> that's usually not, you know, a long-term injury. But I also maybe think maybe it would be a good idea for Brunson to sit like one or two games and just kind of get his body right, take like a week off, and then come back fully healthy and be ready to go. Because, you know, it's I think this game proved in many ways, too, that sometimes down the stretch, you know, he can be the difference of, you know, being the guy that can break down the, the defense down the stretch for the Knicks, even if he's not the one making the shots. 
he's the one that can generate the shot for a guy. Uh, so I, I hope that he is doing okay physically. And again, maybe it might not be the worst idea in the world for them to take a day off or two just to just to get everything right there. But I think we can uh, end this episode off. Uh, it was a long weekend to talk about. Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of uh, two pretty big games. But there's going to be more to talk about this week, as always. So we'll be back with more episodes. But until next time, thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you all soon. Peace out.